0: Good morning. Good, morning, good morning. Last week, we looked at unforgiveness. And this morning, we look at forgiveness. How can you not be controlled by your past? How can you let go? Let's admit, we want Our answer typically is probably, well, I don't need to. There's nothing to let go of. We like to think of ourselves as though we're no longer affected by our past because we've moved on. We're over it. We like to think that either we've risen above it or there's nothing to deal with. But thinking you're not affected by the past isn't even a biblical idea. It's actually a really unbiblical idea. Because for one, the Bible says that for you to be born into this world, it means that you were deeply affected by events in the past. You were born dead in sin because of the decision of your first father, Adam. You were affected by the past from the second of your conception. So, thinking that we're unaffected by the past doesn't even pass the Christianity 101 test. But, secondly, what does your unforgiveness tell you? Doesn't it tell a different story? Perhaps after last week, you realize that there's some unforgiveness in your heart, and it surprised you and it caught you off guard. Because you realize your past is still hanging on to you. So how can you be free? How can you let go of what you don't even realize you're holding on to? Or to put the question just far more simply, how can I forgive? And I know that that question has been on many of your minds over the last few weeks and over the last week especially, we've heard that question directly from many of you and indirectly from the discussions in your community groups and in your conversations with one another asking that question, how do I forgive? And honestly, the the response in this series has been overwhelming. But this week, Mark and I talked about it and just realized that Jesus is doing something he's at work among us in some ways that i'm i'm not sure i've ever really experienced before because there's a collective voice that's saying i'm ready to forgive but how do i do it what does it look like and it's okay to have that question Because the reality is forgiveness looks different for different people with different situations. I've heard some of you talk about needing to forgive someone that you see every single day. You wake up next to them. You live with them. Others of you are trying to figure out what it means to forgive someone that you will never see again. Because they're dead and gone. Others of you are trying to figure out what does it mean to forgive an abuser when I should in no way seek reconciliation of the relationship. How do you forgive when you know they're alive and that you'll never see them again? What does forgiveness look like in each of those situations? You cannot cover all of that in a couple of sermons. You can't even get close. And we can't make it the mistake of thinking that because we heard a sermon on forgiveness, it's the same thing as having done it. And so in light of that, we want to do something new. We want to invite you to come and to begin to walk the road of forgiveness. And so not this week, but the following week, we want to start a group that will meet one night a week for a few weeks. It's a group that's for anyone that wants to begin to take the steps towards forgiveness. It's for those who are ready to understand what forgiveness looks like for them and their story and their situation. It's for those who are ready to let go. But it also gives us a chance to walk with you To walk alongside you that's why we're here it's not just to stand up here it's also to stand next to you to sit with you to cry with you and to look for Jesus with you and since it's a group I know what you just thought will I be required to share no but you will be given the opportunity You'll be challenged to survey the damage, to maybe look at something that you haven't wanted to look at your entire life. You're going to be challenged to write, to bleed in ink. You're going to be challenged to pray, to be honest with God, to be honest with yourself, and to begin to walk the road of forgiveness one step at a time. But most importantly, we invite you to come And to find Jesus, not despite all of that hurt and pain, but to find him in it. That is the exact invitation of this passage today. Because Joseph himself had to wrestle with the question, how can I let go of the past? How can I forgive? And his story shows us what forgiveness looks like. He shows us the realizations that forgiveness requires and the actions that forgiveness takes. And he shows us the only way true forgiveness is possible. And so this morning, we're going to take a walk with Joseph down his road of forgiveness. And you can decide if you want to walk that road yourself. And when we're first introduced to to Joseph in Genesis 37, he is not the most humble boy that this world has ever known. He was the favorite son, and he knew it. Some of you need to forgive the fact that you weren't the favorite son. Joseph was from a deeply broken family, just like you. Where his father played favorites with his kids, He gave gifts to Joseph that communicated where all the other brothers stood. And on top of that, God kind of stirred the pot, let's be honest. Because God gave Joseph a dream that his entire family would bow down before him. Which is the most awesome dream to have when you're 16. (laughs) That is literally every 16-year-old's dream to come true. And God says, here you go. But it's going to be so painful for you to get there. And it says that his brothers despised Joseph in their heart, they hated him. And so now the stage is set for one of the most traumatic and painful stories in the Bible. But it's a story upon which God's entire story of redemption is built. And it's a story that tells you that all of that pain can be turned into something precious. Because the Joseph that we encounter in our passage this morning is totally different than when we first meet him. Did you hear his words? His actions? That is a totally different posture towards his brother's. You heard what he said, you saw what he does, and it's so it's so beautiful. But why is it so beautiful? I think it's because we see him living out of an identity that doesn't match what was done to him. Who he is in the story doesn't make sense in light of what was done to him. Because in Genesis 46, after Joseph revealed who he was to his brothers, he brought his whole family to come and live with him in Egypt. And Hollywood would have ended the story right there. Roll the credits. But the story doesn't end there. This was actually just the beginning. Because Joseph had about 15 years with his family in Egypt. And he probably thought everything was fine. The past had been dealt with. But then his father dies. Jacob. So Joseph asked Pharaoh for permission to go and bury his father in Canaan, just like Jacob had requested that he be buried. And I think this is where it all came back. This is where it all came back and Joseph realized that he had some serious, unfinished business in his heart and he didn't know it. This is where the real work began. Because God was not done with Joseph yet. And it would lead to Joseph's finest hour. So why would this trip to Canaan be so significant? Because it was probably the first time Joseph had been back to Canaan after all those years. And it's not like there's 10 different interstates to get there. He would have traveled back on the exact same road that he came. And we overlooked that part of the story. And part of the story is because we're introduced to these stories as children, and so they never graduate from being children's stories to us. And yet, they are so much more. And we overlook that part of the story. Because can you imagine what that trip was like for Joseph? Like a Holocaust survivor returning to Auschwitz? All of that trauma and memory flooding back with every mile along the way. He'd leave town and he'd remember that first time he came up over that last hill and saw this new Egyptian city that would be his home for the very first time, remembering how scared he was, how he thought he was probably just going to die, how he was just a kid, man. He was so little. He was so helpless. He didn't even understand the language that they were speaking around him. Maybe he subconsciously rubbed his wrists as he remembered what those chains felt like and how they cut into him. All those memories floating back mile after mile, and then they passed by where it all began, the moments and the place that his life changed in an instant. His mind replaying the memory of watching his older brother work out a deal to sell him Working out a deal to traffic him for a few pieces of silver like he's an animal. All the while, he's being held down. And he's yelling at them to stop. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? Stop. Don't do this. But they just stood there. They watched as he was marched away in chains. oh, but then there's the grief of burying his father on top of all that. Wishing he'd had more time with his dad. But instead, he sat in a prison cell. All the years that were stolen from him, the life that was taken from him, that he knows he can never get back. That is unavoidable rage that would rise up like a tidal wave. Can you imagine what this trip was like for Joseph? So what can we gather from this about the road of forgiveness? When God wants you to deal with your past, he will confront you with it. When God wants you to deal with your past, he will confront you with it. And it will be unavoidable. And maybe that's why this series has felt the way it has for you. Some things have started flooding back, some things that you thought were dealt with. Why? Well, don't you know what that means? It means God isn't done with you, He's at work within you. He wants to bring healing and renewal. And restoration in your life, and there's things that you don't see that he wants to deal with. But at first, it feels like death. It's because he wants to crucify that old part of you, that old self, that old man, that flesh, that old identity that's been poisoned by the past in ways you can't see, that deals in debt and repayments and retribution and unforgiveness. yes, it's scary, but perhaps, maybe, it will lead to your finest hour. Where you, too, will live out of an identity that doesn't match what was done to you. Because that's exactly what we see with Joseph. Because he operates by an identity that this world does not have an answer for. And I think something happened on the strip for the brothers, too. They were confronted with the past on the same road. Haunted by the egregious failures of their past. And when they got back, they were terrified. They probably thought all that stuff was in the past too. But here they are, terrified. Because they thought Joseph was going to kill them now, and he had only been keeping them alive this whole time out of respect for their father. They had trouble believing that forgiveness could be possible in light of what they'd done. So, what did they do? They tried to pay that debt for themselves. They tried to manipulate Joseph. They concocted a story that never really happened. And as Joseph hears them tell this, this story about their dad telling them to tell Joseph to not do this, and it's all really convoluted, he just weeps. He weeps. He just weeps as they tell him all of this. And those tears are so important. Because what's the alternative? Well, after all of that, how easy would it be for the past to control Joseph and pull his strings and for him to just sing that song of Lamech and say, I am vengeance. And I will avenge myself 77 times. Let's not forget That Joseph is virtually the most powerful person on the planet. All he has to do is just say the word. And here's the thing. We want that kind of power. We want that kind of power in our unforgiveness. The kind of authority over those who hurt us and betray us. That old identity within us, that old self that just longs to simply have the power to say the word and repay evil with evil. But those tears are something different. These tears are Joseph admitting that what happened to him isn't just no big deal. These tears mean that he sees what God wants him to see. He sees a measure of brokenness that he had no idea was there. Do you want to know a good way of measuring whether or not you've dealt with the past? It's whenever you think about the past, you feel nothing. And that's how you know you haven't dealt with it. When you think about the past, you feel nothing. There's just a numbness, a callous heart scarred over. And you know why that's off? It's because you've been born into this world that's so broken that it requires the very death of God to remedy. But you're living as though you've somehow went unscathed. And that's why these tears are so important. These tears are Joseph finally seeing the damage that's been done and the brokenness that exists. And he has a heartbreak to go with it because now he sees what God sees. Tears that know that what must be done is so hard, but they're tears that are willing to let go. Tears that are ready for something new. These are the tears of mourning that turn into joy. These are tears of sorrow that turn into dancing. These are the tears of Hannah in the temple. It's the tears of Elijah weeping over the widow's dead son. It's the tears of Jesus in the garden. These are the tears of death that bring resurrection life because these are tears that say, I want something different. I see what's been done. I see the brokenness in my life, and I'm ready for something new. And what Joseph says next are some of the most beautiful words ever spoken in this world. Joseph looks at his brothers and he says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Am I in the place of God? Doesn't that statement seem so simple? But do you know how long it takes for someone to be able to say that from the heart? Because that statement comes from a deep humility. Because in our hurt and unforgiveness, we so easily and immediately and naturally operate by a false identity a God complex that demands payment and justice on our terms. We pour out our wrath as if we know when justice is complete and what the price that needs to be paid really is. We hold on to all of our contempt and rage, and our hearts declare that the other one stands condemned. That one is unforgivable. And the statement teaches us something about true forgiveness and the road that we have to walk. It's we have to recognize from the heart who we are and who we are not. Forgiveness can only begin when we stop playing God. It's letting go of our vengeance, of wanting to get even. It's laying aside our wrath and our desire for punishment. And instead, it's saying to the other, I'm not your judge. No matter what you've done to me, I'm not your judge. I have no power over you. I'm letting go of my expectation that you could pay for this, that you could give back what was actually taken, that you could restore all that was lost. I have to let go of thinking that you could do something that would make this as though none of it ever happened. You can't pay, which means there's a price that I have to pay. Forgiveness isn't possible as long as we hold on to your demands and desires for payments and retribution. You'll never meet God and all of that hurt if you're playing the role yourself. Whether it's giving someone the cold shoulder or the silent treatment and all those petty ways that we do that put them on probation until you feel as though their punishment is complete. Or nursing that grudge in your heart and murdering them there. All that's just living out of an old identity from all the way back in the Garden of Eden that believed that I can be God and I don't need God. But Joseph is showing us the way of forgiveness because his heart is saying, I will not live waiting on you to pay back something that you never can. I let go and I'm placing justice in the hands of my God. I release you from your debt. I give you an identity to me. You are no longer my debtor. And I'm setting you free so I can be free from waiting on a train that's never going to come. And then Joseph goes on and he says, am I in the place of God as for you? You meant evil against me. You meant evil against me. Again, it just seems like another simple statement. But is it? Have you actually been able to say that what was done to you was evil or do you minimize it it's in the past it's no big deal it is what it is it's whatever bro i'm over it don't we do that all the time you know and if maybe joseph was an american he'd start an influencer account and it'd be all about overcoming your obstacles in life what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Look at me now. The great success story. I was a, once a prisoner, but now I'm a powerhouse. And he'd tweet all sorts of really dumb statements like, turn your pain into your power, and then everybody to like it and share it. But everybody would be the exact same. They'd still be prisoners. But Joseph doesn't do any of that. Because he doesn't minimize what they did so that he can think better of himself. He doesn't minimize what they did. He doesn't avoid it and say, you know, whatever, guys, it's all in the past. I've moved on. He doesn't get puffed up in his pride and nor does he act like he's some self-made Messiah that's risen above the hardship of his life. Knowing his humility, he calls evil, evil. He can stand before the one who wronged him and say, what you did was wrong." And it cost me so much. What you did was wrong. And it cost me more than you will ever know. Forgiveness calls out evil. How else would true forgiveness be possible if we pretend like there's nothing to forgive? And do you know why that's so hard? Part of why it's so hard to say what was done to you was evil, it's because you have to let go of an identity that you've chosen for yourself. We like to think of ourselves as strong and unaffected by what others have done, and so we have to minimize what others have done to excuse it, overlook it, or say, well, that's just who they are. And we adopt an identity that just presents an image that we've somehow gone untouched by the evil in our lives. But to maintain that image requires that we have to minimize the evil in our lives, which makes forgiveness, again, impossible. And Joseph operates by a different identity. He admits that he's just flesh and blood. He's not Superman What you did was evil. He's willing to face the damage of what they did to him. To not avoid it just because he doesn't like how it makes him feel, and so he then pretends like it didn't exist. Friends, I want you to hear me. This is why forgiveness is not the same thing as tolerance. Forgiveness is not the same thing as tolerance, where we never address the wrong that's done. Forgiveness isn't the same thing as avoidance where we think that we've moved on but we've never actually addressed any issues. Forgiveness is hard because forgiveness is confrontational. Which is why forgiveness isn't possible without surveying the damage of what's been done to you. And finally being willing to call it evil. You meant evil against me. There's a natural fear of being able to say those words because it stirs up anger. It's often the first emotion we feel when we begin to face the the damage of what's been done to us. And that rage can feel like a tidal wave, yet it's so necessary. That anger does not have to be the unrighteous anger of this world that simply wants to repay evil with evil. It can be a righteous anger that longs for evil to be eradicated. That's the anger of God. It's the type of anger that says, I want it gone. I want its influence out of my life. If it's there, I want to be free of it. I want its power removed. It's the type of anger that rises up in action, that longs for redemption. That's what Joseph wants. So why he does what he does next. He says, Don't be afraid. I will provide for you and for your little ones. You don't have to be afraid. I will provide for you and for your little ones. All my power will be given to you. To care for you. And provide for you. That perhaps is the hardest part of this road of forgiveness. Because it shows that forgiveness in its truest form isn't just coming to a peace treaty. It isn't just an agreement to coexist, to tolerate the existence of each other. It's not a neutral status. True forgiveness is actually committing yourself to the good of the one who wronged you. Joseph is saying, You don't have to be afraid because I'm not going to spend the rest of my life living as your enemy. I choose to live in a way that promotes your good, to use what I have for you, for your families, for your little ones, because I don't want evil to dwell between us. I want it gone. I want this cycle in our family to end. Hasn't it caused so much damage already? I want to replace all that evil with goodness. Knowing that it's going to cost me. What would it look like to commit yourself to the good of the one who wronged you? What would it look like to commit yourself to the good of the one who wronged you? I know that maybe right now it seems impossible that you could ever even get to that place. Walking with Joseph, seeing what forgiveness looks like, is hard. And I know it sounds impossible, but here's the thing. You should feel that way. You should feel that way. You need to feel that way. You need to feel the weight of forgiveness and that incomprehensible person that it requires you to be. That's what you need. That's good because it means you're actually seeing what forgiveness truly is. And you realize that something other than you has to be factored in, a third party is going to have to be introduced. If you look back at the end of this passage, it says Joseph comforted them and spoke kindly to them, caring for them, loving them. And doesn't that feel so backwards? The world would look at that and say, that's just so wrong. Why is the victim comforting the victimizers? They should be the ones comforting him. They should be the one that bears the cost, not him. It doesn't make any sense. Maybe you feel that way too. But that's the whole point. That's what we have to see. It doesn't make any sense. Because Joseph is showing us an identity that doesn't match what was done to him. What he gives doesn't match what was taken from him. How he chooses to live in no way matches all that he lost. And so how did this happen? How did he become a person with this whole new identity when he didn't have a bookstore filled with a thousand books on forgiveness and how to get over your past? It's because he met God. He met God. He met God in all of that pain and hurt and loss. That's why verse 20 are some of the most beautiful words ever spoken and some of the hardest to say ourselves. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Joseph is telling us that in the midst of all that's done to him, in the midst of all that he suffered, he encountered God. He's telling you the reason I can forgive is because I've come to know there is another storyteller. That's why what you did is not my identity. I can forgive because I can entrust myself to the story that he's telling in all that hurt and in all that pain because he himself is good. And when you find him, you really do find an identity that doesn't match what's been done to you. But you have to find him. Not despite all of that hurt, not despite all of that pain, but in it. Because what God meant for e- what man meant for evil, God meant for good. And there's part of us that hears that and thinks, well, sure, Joseph can say that. But how can I say that? What good? How could he let all of this happen? What good could he have possibly intended by the evil that was done to me? But Joseph is saying, I don't know. I'm not the storyteller. That's what you have to find out. That's the road that you have to walk. Just because you've walked with me in mine doesn't mean you've walked yours. Those answers can only be found when you find him. Those answers can only be found when you trust that he was there when you were put in chains. When you trust that he was there when you sat in prison for all those years afterwards. When you trust that he was there when you thought that you had moved on from it all and were on top of the world. And when you trust that he is there slamming all of it back right in front of you so that you have to confront it. It's when you trust that you have to find him. He's telling you to find the storyteller. And I don't know all the burdens you carry. I don't know what it's like to have lived your story and I never will. but I know that I want you to be free. I want the world to look at you and for who you are to not make any sense. For you to be living out an identity that doesn't match what was done to you. For the world to have no answers for what God has done in you. But I also know that we can approach this topic, you know, the topic of forgiveness, like we do so many other topics, we can approach it intellectually not relationally. We just want some steps to take and not a Savior to trust, and we can exclude God from the entire process. And Joseph is telling you, don't you see, you need a third party. You need to find the storyteller. Invite him back into this process of dealing with all of that. Ask him to change you. To give you new eyes to see, a new heart to feel, a new freedom to experience, new courage to face what you don't want, new understanding of what's there that you didn't know was, that, was even there in the first place. He's telling you to find the good, you have to find he who is good. So in this whole new identity we see with Joseph, it teaches us, That forgiveness isn't so much something that you do. It's a someone that you find. And he's telling you to find the one who can turn all of that pain into something precious. And he's the only one who can. Joseph is telling you to look for the one who was betrayed by his brothers. Who was sold for a few pieces of silver like an animal. Who was put in chains, falsely accused, and put in a prison cell. Who rose to great heights, lifted high above the earth on a cross. And it's there that he says to you, do not be afraid. For what you intended for evil, I meant for good. So that many people may be kept alive. And I will provide for you, and for your little ones. It's the road of forgiveness. It's the road of Joseph. It's the road of Jesus. Are you willing to take it yourself? For the glory of Christ and the life of the world, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask for the courage that we can't muster ourselves. We ask that you'd rescue us from our self-sufficiency. Rescue us from any false notions that everything is just fine. When there's areas and parts of our lives where it's not, we ask that you would reveal them to us. We ask that we would walk with you in a way that you would have us go and that you would bring wisdom and understanding into what each of those steps are. Who you call us to be is so impossible without you. Remind us of that. And give us desires to find you in it, to not look for you despite our story, but in it. As the God who's always been there. And the God who's waiting. The God who's the true storyteller. The God who... can take all of that evil intended for us and turn it into something good. Lord Jesus, I ask whatever work you are doing in this church that you would bring it to completion. We ask this in your name. Amen.